Well, we're going to start with uh, some theology today. I want to take you to a concept in the Bible. The words I'm going to use to describe it aren't specifically found in the Bible, but the principle is. Now, you have caught us on the fourth week of our Real Marriage series where we've been asking this question. What does a biblical marriage look like? I mean, we know what Oprah says about a good marriage. We've heard Dr. Phil. We've even heard Dr. Oz describe the mechanics of it. But what does a biblical marriage look like? Well, today I'm going to deal with a topic that we label around here a PG-13 topic. So what this means is if you have a child in the room with you that's under the age of 13, 14, 15, and you don't want them to hear the topic we're going to talk about, which has to do with some of the uh, more intimate sides of marriage, then now would be your time to exit because in about five minutes, I'm going to be into the topic directly. And at that point, you don't get to send me emails, okay? Fair and balanced. And if you're just like one of those people who doesn't want to hear this at all, Honestly, um, Panera's open. Uh, it, they, coffee's good there, all right? So we're going to talk about, candidly, some of the more intimate sides of marriage. But before we do that, it's imperative that we recreate the context of what this whole subject is about. Because here's the deal. In our culture today, there are lies circulating. And when we try to take the truth of God's word and hold them up against the lies, we get a certain amount of information, but it's not complete when we take God's word in context and we understand why God says what he says and what his heart for the thing is and what he hopes us to experience, well, then the truth of God's word shines a whole lot brighter than the lies of our culture. And it's a truth, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a truth that will bring freedom and joy to us. It will bring freedom and joy to us. Our heavenly father loves us. And the whole subject we're gonna talk about today was his idea. He didn't um, create the world and then kind of let it go on its own. And then some point in the development of the world, we came up with this idea and God kind of looked at it and went, well, I guess I'll bless it. No, that's not what happened at all. The whole subject we're going to talk about today was his idea. And it's there for our enjoyment, for our freedom, and for our joy. And this might sound strange to you, especially if you grew up in a fundamentalist home or a very conservative home. When we operate frequently and regularly within the bounds of what God is talking about, what happens is we actually honor God. We actually bring glory to God with this part of our lives. When we do it according to his plan, we do it frequently and lovingly within the context that he described. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a church talk about this subject as candidly as we're about to talk about it. But before we get there, let's set the stage for a little context, all right? So here's the theological idea we're going to talk about. It's called the cultural mandate. Now, when I ask you to think about creation, the beginning of things, typically we go to thinking about the physical world that God created. We think about the eight let there be's. Let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be animals in the water and in the air and on the ground. We think about the let there be's. We think about the, the cosmos and the world and the mountains and the airs and the atom and the natural sciences and all that is well and good. But you may not know this, so I want to enlighten you today, that alongside the physical world that God created, there was an entire philosophical and cultural system that he created that is just as much a reflection of his grandeur just as much a reflection of his power, just as much a reflection of his wisdom as the physical world we see around us. The natural sciences like physics and biology and the medical arts, they operate because God put in place a system so that when you go to the doctor, no matter which one you go to, if they've been trained at all, they know that when they want to listen to your heart, they don't put the, the stethoscope on your knee. 
They know that God created a system that generally works this way. If you put this stethoscope somewhere in the middle of the chest, maybe just to the left side, you're more likely to hear the heartbeat and figure out what's going on. It's a system that God created in this world. It's a part of his wisdom that he would create a system out of which your body would operate and most of us would look similar to each other so the doctor can figure out the system and in figuring out the system, determine what parts of you are an anomaly and then treat the anomaly and actually help you get better. Same thing's true with the physical world around us. Gravity tends to impact me in the exact same way it impacts you. It's the system that reflects the wisdom of God. You may not know this, but in your Bible, in the book of Romans, chapter two, Paul says that the people who don't have the law of God, the Old Testament, the Bible, when they act in keeping with the law of God, they are doing what is written on their hearts, even, they don't, even though they don't have a book of the Bible in front of them telling them what to do. Now, you've seen this at work. You've seen this at work every time you open up, like I have, the Wall Street Journal, and you see some prognosticator, some... Um, consultants say that every human being needs a day regularly where they just get to be. They, get, they need to work, but then they need to take a day off and just relax. If you've read any type of leadership literature, you know that Stephen Covey and, and others have written that this day of rest is just a part of the human condition. They don't reference the scripture at all when they talk about those things. But instead, what they're doing is they're looking at the world around them, seeing that the world operates according to a system that if you work all the time and don't rest, you're going to run yourself in the ground. And the very thing that you want to do, which is produce work over your lifetime, is going to escape you. Now, how does that work? Did they read the Bible? Well, maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, the world around us reveals certain things. Now, I'm taking my time before I get into our subject, in part to give you a chance to get out of the room, but also... I want you to understand something, that this whole system that God created isn't a set of rules imposed on our life. They are a reflection of God's heart for us. See, I think that when I was growing up, what I heard consistently from my churches was, don't, 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 don't. And then when you get married, enjoy, but don't enjoy too much. Uh, that's that's kind of the way we were, we were taught. And I'm telling you, that will create a challenge. When I hear people who are outside of the church describe what the church is and the Bible's teaching is, I don't think that what they're trying to do is capture the heart of God on a subject that is so important and vitally apparent to every single person in this room. I mean, all of you are a product of the system we're describing that God created out of his wisdom and goodness. I'm assuming you are on some level unless you came from another planet and was deposited among us. All right, I'm assuming that you all understand this by now. So when Paul talks about that there are people who don't even have the law of God, but they operate in keeping with the law, and when they do that, they reflect the wisdom that God has created in this world, what he's letting us know is that God created not only the physical world around us, but a whole way of understanding our universe, a whole way of understanding our experience. I want to show you just a couple of passages that the Bible talks about this. The first one is Proverbs chapter one, verse 22 and 23. It's talking about wisdom. That, that's what we're talking about here. The wisdom of God in the world, the system that God has created is how the Bible talks about the wisdom of God. Here's what it says. Now, now this might sting just a little bit. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. This is wisdom talking then I will pour out my thoughts to you 
and will make known to you my teachings. Wisdom takes on a voice in the book of Proverbs, a wisdom book in the Bible. It says, if you follow God's system, if you uncover what God's trying to do and you walk in line with the keeping of God's wisdom, here's what will happen. You won't be a fool. You won't suffer the penalty of the fool. You won't suffer rebuke. Instead, it will be revealed to you God's ways. He'll make his teachings known to you and it will actually benefit you in life. Proverbs 8 Um, chapter 8, verse 22 and following. Here's another way that the wisdom of the Bible is described. Gentlemen, Proverbs 8, 20. There we go, 32 through 35. Here's what it says. Now, wisdom is talking again. Now then, my children, listen to me, wisdom says. Blessed are those who keep my ways. What ways? God's ways, the ways he's created in the universe, the ways he has wired into us so that if we understand them, it benefits us. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway for those who find me, find life, and receive favor from the Lord. Paul says in Romans that we referenced earlier that if you tap into the wisdom of God, whether you have the Bible open or not, you're walking according to the ways he's described. And when you do that, it helps us. It helps us to understand the world. It helps us to enjoy the world. It helps us to have freedom and joy. This is just what the Bible says. Now, God didn't just create the gravitational system. He didn't just create the solar system. He didn't just create other types of geothermal systems. He created a way for human beings, his highest point of creation, to enjoy the world. And he also created all kinds of other things. Listen, one last, time, one last example in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 27. There's a discussion about agriculture here, but I want you to hear the context in which it's described. There's this herb, caraway, is not threshed with the sledge, you don't beat it, nor is the wheel of the cart rolled over cumin, another type, right? No, caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread so one does not go on threshing it forever. Now, the wheels of the threshing cart may be rolled over it, but one does not use a horse to grind grain. He's just describing the wisdom of the way to do agriculture and to reap the harvest. Now listen what it says here. Here's the change. And all of this understanding about the way life works in the physical world, all of this comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. Now, the reason you and I don't walk off a cliff thinking we're going to be suspended in midair is we have a rudimentary understanding of gravity. I believe our culture is ignorant of a rudimentary understanding of the subject we're going to talk about today, and it has cost us for generations. Some of you tonight cannot tuck your kids in bed because you have failed to operate according to the system that God put in place. You have walked outside of wisdom, and it's tragic. Let me ask you a question. Has walking outside of God's boundaries as it relates to sexuality, that's the first time I've said this word and I'm 10 minutes in, so don't be offended, all right? Walking outside of God's bounds for sexuality, has it brought you, has it brought you more comfort or more complication? Honestly, listen, you know Jesus said truth sets people free. So lies don't set you free. Covering over doesn't set you free. Pretending doesn't set you free. Truth sets you free. So has walking outside of God's bounds with sexuality, has it brought you more complication or more comfort in your life? 
See, I, I've been doing this long enough, and before I pastored a church, I taught high school students, and there was no more favorite subject that they wanted to hear talked about than the end times, like what's going to happen with the ultimately with the world, and sex. And I was hitting a home run every time I talked about whether or not there was going to be sex in the end times. They, they loved that. I mean, that was like their favorite talk every year, all right? I don't know, by the way. There's no real answer, but it was a certain crowd pleaser. Well, God put in place in the book of Genesis at the very beginning an understanding. The theologians call it the cultural mandate. It's a way of describing what our purpose in this world is, and it's found right there in your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And to some degree, we have to grasp this in order to make sense of the rest of the stuff I'm going to talk about. Genesis 1:28, the cultural mandate says this, right from your Bible. God blessed them who? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the man and the woman. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. He, he didn't want just two. He wanted many more. And I want you to fill the earth and subdue it, reign over it, manage it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This passage, though it's one short verse, describes what God hopes every human being will be a part of in this world. Here's the idea. God created it, but then God chose to step away and say, now the rest of creation, the rest of filling, the rest of you guys who are made in my image, my viceroys over this world, my sub-rulers over this world, your job is to complete the creative process. I want you to take the arts and the industry and architecture and medicine and finance. I want you to take all that you do in artistic development, all that you do with music and relationships, and I want you to fill the earth and increase the number and bring everything captive to the purposes and the good design I have for you. That's why I've gifted you and called you and put a dream in your heart. Because I'm creating something here, not in my active development anymore, God says, but through you, those made in my image, those put in place to do my work. I want you to continue what I've started. That's why the Bible begins with a garden that is perfect and in balance. But do you know what it ends with? It ends with a city fully developed. And the Bible describes it this way, that the, the glory of the nations are at work in the city we begin with a garden, we end with a city, and having completed the mandate that God gave us, we fill the earth, we develop it, we build buildings, we build hospitals, we educate our kids. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, just doing theology for a moment here, God describes for us who are parents what our role is to make sure that this mandate continues. We're to have kids, but not just have kids. We're to train them and develop them and grow them so that they understand that the world is theirs to be enjoyed within the bounds that God created. And when they do that, they'll have freedom and joy and they'll raise their kids to understand the world, that it is God's, that it's on loan to us and we are allowed to live the dream he's placed in us, but there are boundaries and rules to operate this world by that don't restrict us. They give us freedom over time. But you know what we've done with this mandate, don't you? We've got our eyes off of the creator and what he wants us to do. And we've gotten our eyes on our own little world and we've been short-sighted and we've traded long-term freedom over a lifetime for momentary pleasures. We've done that through all the different types of systems in the world. I do that every time I get up and don't exercise and take off this extra 10, 20, 30 pounds that I'm 40, okay, stop, pounds that I'm carrying. 
I trade momentary pleasure for a lifetime of freedom. Now, you see that. Some of you are caring for aging parents who have not cared for their bodies, and you see what their momentary pleasures traded for long life of freedom looks like and what has created havoc in their life. Here's the challenge with sex. We haven't thought long and hard as individuals what we're trading for what we're getting. We haven't thought about the opportunity costs. Just like my little kids. Now, we, me and my boys, we love to build fires. We have a, a wood-burning fireplace. It's one of the reasons we bought our house. We love it. We chop wood. We stack it. It's a manly thing. We grunt. We fart. We do all kinds of things while we're, we're picking up wood. All right, so we, we, it's all manly. I mean, it's just a great time. We, we, we have a good time doing this. Now, but here's the thing. They're really preoccupied with fire. They're really preoccupied. And I've had to teach my little John and my little Max that the fire in the fireplace and its bounds is good. It brings warmth, it crackles, it pops, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. But you take that little match and you put it over in the corner of the house or down in the garage where we have some flammable liquids, it doesn't work so much, right? It gets out of bounds, it creates, have the same force. God wants us to understand that. And I'm right now, all I'm trying to do is combat the lie of our culture that says that somehow sex crept up on God. And he didn't mean for it to happen, that he created human beings, but when he turned his back, the devil got in the ground and made a little penis out of dirt and stuck it on a man. And there's the root of all problems. It didn't happen that way. God created us with those body parts. It was his design. And the Bible reveals then that sex is within the framework of God's system, within its bounds, is beautiful and wonderful and should be enjoyed frequently and passionately and vigorously. And outside the bounds, it's like a fire out of the fireplace. And I would be no kind of dad at all if I didn't train my kids. The challenges and the joys of fire, you know? And I would be no kind of pastor if I didn't tell you about the challenges and joys of sex. I do nobody a favor in this room by letting you leave with an inaccurate view of God or God's heart or God's rule or God's law. That's why this whole series, we've been talking about a biblical view. Because I'm going to tell you, what I'm talking about, you would expect to hear from a pastor. But that also means it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss this. But I'm telling you, we dismiss it at our own peril. When we operate outside the bounds of sexuality and we continue to do it and continue to do it and we never submit to the rule of God operating in the world, we're just as foolish as if we walked off a cliff thinking that somehow we were going to be suspended in midair. One more time. Has operating outside God's bounds brought you more freedom and joy or has it brought complication to your life? I know the stories. I hear the emails. This three weeks, my email box has been flooded with those of you moving forward in grace, getting a renewed lease on your marriage and a renewed sense of purpose. And I couldn't be more happy with this congregation. But I know that in this room, some of you are still holding out. I mean, uh, among our college students, it's like sex is now a full contact sport where we keep score. It's not even about people anymore. And this isn't just a new reality. And our culture isn't any worse we just figured out new ways to do the same old stuff. But God comes to us through the pages of the Bible and he says, now listen, 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 listen. I love you. I want good for you. I don't want good for you right now and only right now. I want good for you for your lifetime. 
I want dads to be able to tuck their kids in bed at night. I want moms to be able to be trusting and loving. I want women to feel a sense of security and value. I want men to know the joy of diligently working towards one man, one woman for the rest of their lives. And I want that to last throughout your life, not just in a moment. And the enemy of our soul comes to us and he says the same thing he said to Eve in the garden right near the beginning of the passage we read. Hey, just this once, try this. Somehow you're being withheld from. God doesn't want you to think like he thinks. He doesn't want you to have knowledge like he has. So if you'll try this one thing, your eyes will be opened and you'll know more. And of course, he's partially right. You will know more. But he didn't tell them the rest of the story. You'll know pain. You'll know distraction. You'll know discouragement. You'll know difficulty. Oh, I'm sure the fruit was sweet. I'm sure it tasted fine. But on that moment, they began to die. Now, unless, uh, you know, it's a little too heavy in here for you for just a moment, I got to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ held alongside the system of sexuality that God created in this world. Now, that's a powerful force. And some of us in this room, we haven't operated within the bounds of God's sexual system the way he described it for our good and for his glory and for our benefit. And we've suffered a little bit from that. Our marriages have suffered. Our relationships, our relationships with our kids have suffered. Our sense of purpose and destiny. We can't even pursue what we want to pursue anymore because we're too busy paying alimony or paying bills. Or we can't even do what we're called to do anymore. We can't take risks because we've... And yet there's the gospel of Jesus. And every time he dealt with somebody who had messed up in this subject, you find two things. You find truth and you find grace. I hope that you hear that in me today. Truth and grace. So with that said, let's dig into the six biblical purposes of sex as God defined it. This is his system. I think if you understand it and operate within it, I think it will bring you freedom and joy. And where we don't, I sincerely believe you are disregarding the, the teaching of wisdom that we read in those passages early and to your own peril. You, know, you're, you play the role of the fool. All right, so here, here's the first purpose of sex. First purpose of sex in the Bible, it's very clear, is pleasure pleasure. I don't have a specific verse for this. Uh, it's all through one book of the Bible called the Song of Songs. I referenced it just a little bit the other day. Uh, I told you that my buddy's favorite life verse was, your, your breasts are like fruit on the palm tree. And yea, I will climb that tree and grab hold of its fruit. What do you think the Bible's talking about? You don't have to answer out loud. That was a rhetorical question. Out loud would get a little awkward, more awkward than it already is. God created sex for pleasure. In the book of the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, it talks about breasts and smells and bellies and being soft and touchable and a sense of urgency and wanting to run to the garden together. What this means is that orgasm is God's idea. It's not a surprise to him. God gave women a specific spot in her body, body right near the point of sexual contact that has one sole purpose, and that is pleasure. Man, it does no other purpose physiologically for the, for, the, for the female. This was God's design. I can imagine the angels, when God created the mountains, going, ooh, that's nice. And when he created the sunset, wow, that's beautiful. But when he created sex, I can imagine the angels looking at God saying, would you please just for a moment make me a human? I can imagine that's what they were thinking because out of God's grand design, in his goodness towards us, he created this thing. And he made it for our pleasure. 
In the Song of Solomon, the lover, the male, says to the woman, let's run away. And he doesn't say, so I can put a baby in you. He says, let's run away so we can frolic and play in your garden. Now, if you didn't pay attention in poetry and literature class, shame on you because I'm not going to tell you what garden really means. If you read the, the Song of Solomon, you're going to get a sense of what it's really... He says, I don't want to like, just go make babies. I want to play in your garden for a long time. You know what she says? I've got the keys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to the garden. And it's all about pleasure. An entire book of your Bible dedicated to that. And of course, it does have symbolic meaning for the kind of joy God takes in our relationship with him. But its first meaning, its clearest implication is that within the boundaries of God's system, sex is about pleasure, and that's a good thing. Now listen, if you grew up in a staunchly conservative, fundamentalist home, and somehow you heard, especially ladies, it's easier for men to, to, to navigate this than it is for ladies. You heard, bad, bad, don't, 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 bad, bad, avoid, 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 avoid. And then all of a sudden, somehow on your marriage wedding day, they go, okay, now good, green light. That's something that's hard to turn. I think we do a disservice when we don't give the purpose of sex to our young people in the, in the church. It would be like me saying to my kids, go ahead and start that fire on your own. Yeah, go ahead, you do, do whatever you want to do. I'll just stand back. No, we got to give them context here. So the first purpose of sex in your Bible is pleasure. This is all the way through, by the way. Let me give you the second purpose. It's to have children. I mean, without a doubt, God wanted most of us to bear children in this world so that good people who get God's ways would have children and would raise them up to understand that and they would begat it and so on. And it would serve as a counterforce to the world to all the stupidity that's out there. Have you ever noticed or is it just me? It seems like stupid parents have way too many kids and the good ones don't have enough. Do you know why preacher's kids are messed up? I'm going to tell you straight up because my kids will play with your kids and yours will mess mine up. I'm telling you, that's exactly how it works around here. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not your kids, it's the elder's kids. That's, that's who it is. They're the ones. A anyway, my, my point here is, is that of course we're supposed to have children. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 1:28. It says, God bless them. He says, be fruitful, increase in number. We're right back to the cultural amendment. Fill the earth. Raise up your children to understand and to see God and to love God. Live not perfectly in front of them, but live humbly and repentant in front of them. Bend your heart towards God. And then when they have their job of ruling over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground, then they will begin to operate according to God's system. That's why, listen, that's why we around here, parent, parents, we partner with you in the development of your kids. We don't want to replace you. We can't undo the spiritual impact you have on your kids. You will always outpace the church. You will always outpace the private school. You will always outpace the Christian college you send your kids to. They can't undo what you do. But partnered together, well, that's a powerful force to helping kids understand God. So it's for pleasure. It's for children. Here's number three. It's for oneness. It's for oneness. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And then it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were together. Now, do you notice this? A man will leave home. Like he has, a father will leave his father and he'll go away and he'll unite with somebody else. And so and somehow in sex, we get the idea that there's a certain amount of maturing that takes place. Children don't leave the home. Becoming men leave the home. 
and they will leave. And so the idea here is that sex is supposed to be experienced by maturing people, people who are already on that path. So you get this thing too early, it brings a lot of damage. And the challenge in our culture, as it always has been, is we provide people opportunity long before they have wisdom. We're careless about this thing. And then in the absence of an, a clear and, and biblical understanding of what it's all about, the very secret nature of the thing attracts inquisitive eyes. That the very development of their body track, attracts a certain amount of interest. And that's why, listen, the studies are very clear on this. By eight years old today in American culture, men, boys, typically see their first pornographic image. Eight years old. What are you waiting on to have the birds and bees talk? By eight years old. I don't know. I'm sure your kid isn't going to be touched by the culture. And listen, do you know that your kids, when you're out of the house, they search your house, they open your drawers, they go through your closets? I can't tell you the number of men in this church who've been honest with me and said to me, my first exposure to pornography was pornography in my home. Don't be an idiot, parents. Don't think that somehow your hiding place is better than somebody else's. God has a standard here, and we expose kids too early. So, so listen to me, high school young men and, and college-age men and 20-something men. The Bible's admiration here is clear. We got to grow up a bit before this freedom and this joy of life is available to us without harm. You got to leave father and mother and then cleave to the wife so that there is this exclusive and permanent part of marriage. When I meet people who are living together, I like to ask them when I get to know them, which part of God's command do you not like? The exclusive part or the permanent part? Because usually when people are living together, cohabiting without marriage, it's one or the other. They're kind of keeping their eye open for the next best thing that comes along, or they're pretty sure that they don't want to be permanent. And so I would say to you, if that's how you want to begin a relationship with a woman, go ahead. But outside of God's boundaries, you're going to bring pain. If you're not willing to be exclusive and permanent, the Bible says that you're not supposed to engage in sexual contact between each other. And it comes right from this passage. I mean, there should be no ambiguity of what God's standard is here. And obviously, and listen, I know this is a hot button in our culture, and I'm sorry for the way the church has dealt with this. We've dealt with it poorly. But the truth here is this passage says it's a man and a woman. And that means that outside of that boundary in an exclusive and permanent relationship between one man and one woman, we call that marriage, a covenant of marriage, then sex isn't supposed to be operated. And if, it, if you do, it's like operating a fire outside the fireplace. And I'm telling you just from experience, don't take my word for it. Be honest with yourself and truth sets people free. Does operating outside of God's boundary bring complication or freedom to people's lives? I'm telling you the overwhelming evidence of secular literature outside of the Bible gives a consistent message that rather than bringing freedom for a lifetime, operating in sexual ways outside of God's standards brings, brings difficulty and pain, repression, challenges, broken relationships. So that's why our Heavenly Father comes to us and he says, be careful here, be careful. So there's recreation, there's pleasure, there's children, there's oneness that we come together and we're really known among each other. We get to see each other for as we are and we're accepted as we are. And then number four, there's knowledge. I like this passage, Genesis chapter four, verse one. In, in my version, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, but in your version, it may say Adam knew his wife, knew in the biblical sense. The word there is dode in the Hebrew. The idea here is that beyond just making love in a physical sense, there is a knowing and a coming together of the souls, a mingling of the souls. 
so that their identity is embraced even if the body is embraced. And there's a knowing that happens here. And that's why the covenant of marriage is so important. And that's why having a friendship and, and having a commitment to each other, the three Hebrew words for love, do, the knowing, and ahava, I give myself to you. And ra'a, I'm a friend of yours. All of that comes together in this moment so that we get to know each other and so that loneliness drops so that who you really are and your dreams and aspirations are embraced and encouraged by somebody else. And nowhere in pornography do they talk about this. Nowhere in the college locker room are they talking about, I really got to know her soul. It's conquest and conquer. It's scorekeeping. It's insecure adolescent babies using people as a masturbatorial aid where their identity doesn't even matter. Listen, if that's you, you stay away from my daughter. I'm not even kidding. They ain't got time for that. Because you will bring that junk into a marriage. What you need to do is grow up. And that means if you're 15 or 55, it's time to listen to the teaching of your heavenly father and grow up here and bring your full self in connection with somebody else in a full way and experience joy and freedom. Which brings me to my next purpose of sex, protection. First Corinthians chapter seven, every man, if you didn't know this was in your Bible, I just have given you your greatest day on the face of the earth. Here's what first Corinthians chapter seven, verse two and three. Since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And in the Greek there, own wife means yours, not hers or his or somebody else's, your own wife and each woman with her own husband. Husband, not you like this. Husbands should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. This is right from your Bible. I didn't make this up. And likewise, the wife to her husband. So both and, not either or, not always one versus the other. And why don't you ever initiate? Now, here's why. Because, verse four, the wife's body does not, uh, the wife does not have authority over her own body, only in a marriage covenant, but yields it to her husband. The idea here is that she gives it up and he gives it up. And they do this frequently and energetically in marriage because sexual immorality is at work in the world. But in marriage, there should be freedom. And so Paul instructs believers in history and us today that this sexual connection in marriage should be frequent and vigorous and, and, and life-filled and dual-initiated. And So the wife doesn't have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. And then it says in case you didn't get the point, don't deprive each other except for a short period of time as you both agree. So not just a woman saying, I'm gonna pull back for a minute or the man saying, I'm gonna pull back for a minute, but when you both agree and then do that so you can devote yourself to prayer. So honestly, the only reason the Bible gives for not having frequent regular sex is if you're on your knees praying together. I, I, I didn't make that up. That's in your Bible right there. I mean, it doesn't take a Greek scholar to see it. And then it says, when you get together and pray instead of having sex, listen, then come together again before too long so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. One of the primary reasons that God gave us sex is to protect the sexual integrity of us and so that the pain and the discord and the challenges doesn't come. And, and number six, number six, the sixth biblical reason why God gave us sex is for comfort. Sex can heal an, a multitude of daily bumps and bruises emotionally. 
And, and this passage that I'm going to read for you is powerful for those of us that have messed up because the people involved in this passage had messed up big time. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. <laughs> Uh-oh, I don't know if you know the Bible. This wasn't his wife. <laughs> it wasn't. But in the gospel with Jesus, there's all kinds of grace. And there are fresh starts. And the gospel is renewing. David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and he made love to her and she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved that kid. What started off so ugly and terrible, (laughs) the Lord loved and blessed and redeemed as they gave themselves fully to him in a fresh and new way. I'm passionate about this subject because I get to talk with people often when they are at their worst. I mean, and I'm glad to do it. I get to talk to young men when I was a high school teacher and sometimes now and and older men and women now and I'm telling you that there is no more simple and obvious deception of our enemy than the area of sexuality. You have a war within you. You have a war in the culture and to our own shame and to our own peril, we aren't filled up with the knowledge of God on this subject. So I wanted today to give you kind of a a college level 101 introductory what is the purpose of sex to combat two big lies. One is that somehow God is not behind sex. And that maybe, maybe there's a person or two in this room and you think that you're being more spiritual if you're somehow distant from the subject. Not at all. I, I don't mean to be farcical, but some of the most spiritual stuff you can do in marriage is to get together between a man and a woman and enjoy each other's bodies and minds and souls. It's deeply spiritual. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to quote Bible verses. Um, that might seem a little strange. I, I, Jill, Jill and I don't do that. Um, and that, would, that would be odd. But, but we, we have a knowledge of God that gives us a cover for that, for that activity that helps us to understand the pleasure of God and, the, and, that, and that we honor him when we do that. And that's why, listen, ladies, I don't mean to be harsh on you. And I did this talk about three years ago in the life of our church and I got this email from a very sincere and honest mother with young kids. And she's like, well, I understand what you're saying, but how does this impact you know, moms with young kids? And so my email back was just kind of short. And I said, I think with moms and young kids, it's more difficult potentially to find time to do this. But if you don't take time to do this, you're walking out of step with God's commands. And so what does this mean for aging couples? Of course, dynamics change. But if we aren't engaging in this, we're walking out of step with God's commands. And I know as I say that some people in the room, you've been wounded. Some of you have been sexually abused. So that every time a loving, gentle man touches you, you freeze up. The best thing you can do is get some help and be honest with your spouse and get some professional help and let's move you towards the freedom that God has for you. What the enemy meant for your, for your destruction, God can actually redeem. And for some of you, your marriage is like so far gone And you're wondering if there's even a second chance for you. If you will engage this topic together biblically, I'm telling you, robust, frequent, passionate lovemaking can undo an awful lot of hurt when the other person believes you're fully there and you really want their good and you're enjoying making them happy. This is how God intended it to be. It's not psychobabble. Oprah doesn't have a corner on this. This is God. Your heavenly father, the one who gave us the Ten Commandments, not so that we could earn a relationship with him, but the one who said, I already love you, so here's my law. Here's how to enjoy it. 
I would hope that Four Corners would be the kind of church that when people talk about it amongst friends and in appropriate ways, they would say it was at that church that my love life was rekindled. My, my, my passion with my husband was rekindled. I got over my self-excuses and I started devoting myself to my wife. And you share that among your friends. You know what will happen? Church growth, honestly. The church grows as the followers of Jesus begin to live by the standards of Jesus. Whenever Jesus encountered somebody who was away from this standard, he did it with an unbelievable grace and compassion. To the woman at the well, he said, go get your husband. Let's talk about what we're talking about. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You've had a bunch of husbands and the man you're with right now, not really your husband. And then he looks at her and he says, but I don't condemn you and go and sin no more. Truth and grace. To the woman caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged naked into the street and they've grabbed stones ready to stone her according to the law. Jesus says, all right, the one that's been perfect, um, one without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped their stones and walked away and he looked at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you. And, he, and then it says, and he, lift her, he lifted her face. He lifted her face locked eyes with her and said, now go and sin no more. Walk in freedom. This is my heart for you. I want you to walk in freedom. Not freedom dictated by your own consciousness, not freedom that arises from within you and your passions, which are yet to be fully redeemed, but a freedom that comes from walking within the boundaries that God has defined. And what this means, honestly, is if you're living with someone and you're pretending to be man and wife, The studies here are obvious and clear apart from what the Bible says. I'm not condemning you. I don't want you to walk out of here in deception. The studies are clear that rather than building and growing together for a lifetime, the, 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 the statistics show that your relationship will splinter into broken trust and hurt and broken relationships. And that the children who are products of marriages or of pretend marriages like that They don't grow up living the mandate of subduing and filling the earth and taking joy in who God's made them to be. So what do you do if you're like me and you haven't always followed God's laws right here? We're gonna take communion as a congregation. In fact, as I'm talking, people are coming to get ready to prepare for that. We're gonna take communion. And let me tell you what communion is all about. It's all about God saying to us, I know you're broken. I know you're hurting. And yet I love you. And my grace is extended to you right where you are. And he doesn't say, get cleaned up and come to me. He says, come to me right now, right now, come to me right now. And we will begin to work together. And will you humble yourself and accept my laws as the right way? Will you take my wisdom and will you attempt to live by it as I walk with you? And when you fail, will you be honest and humble and confess your sins? And will you let me be your father? Will you let me love you and lead you? And so in communion, he looked at the first one. He looked at his 12 disciples and he basically said, all of you are gonna deny me. But just before we go through this, let me remind you how much I love you. So this is my, as he poured the wine, this is my blood about to be poured out to cover all of your sins, to cover all of your shame, to cover all of your mistakes. Friends, this is called the gospel. You don't earn it. And then he said, this is my broken body as he ripped the bread about to be broken so that your brokenness can be made whole. And he said, whenever you get together, I want you to remember the grace of the gospel that's available to you. So I'm gonna give all of us in the room, those that are operating in the freedom and according to the structures and the standards of God, 
a chance to come and just celebrate the freedom and the joy that comes in this area when you walk by God. And for those of us who haven't been perfect in this area, maybe you're actively in the middle of not walking with God here. To do a little soul searching just before you get up out of your seat and say, God, I I, I need once again to come to you on bended knee and with a broken heart. And I have some choices to make when I leave here, but before I do that, I want to reconnect with you in a powerful way and let you be a part of my decisions from this point forward. Some of you will need to break off relationships. Some of you will need to kill email accounts. Some of you will need to move the computer to a very public place. Some of you men need to quit letting your ladies go to bed while you sit up on the computer at night. Some of you have some hard choices to make. But I'm telling you, whatever cost it takes you to walk by God's standard, that is the very cost of you buying your freedom and your joy over the rest of your life. And it's worth it. So I want you to do this with me. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me pray, and then I'll walk you through three or four quick next steps. Lord Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion and to take a few other bold steps, would you, God, give us a sense of your grace and your comfort? Lord, I know there are so many lies. I don't even know where to begin, God, other than with your word today. So, Father, I ask that your spirit would take your word and you would apply it to our hearts at the point of our challenge, at the point of our deception and confusion. And you, God, by your spirit, would illuminate and bring light. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, very quickly, would you grab your Connect card? Next step A says, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Listen, if that's you, check the box. We'll connect with you in a non-threatening way and help you move forward on that. Some of you, you need to get baptized and you need to go public with your faith and just to symbolize you've been washed and clean and you're with Jesus. Some of you, as we talked about build lives, you have a desire to help us create a church that is honest about God's word and helps people move forward. Next step C, I want to talk with a leader about the Build Lives campaign. We'd love to talk to you about our vision, not to build a building, but to build a church full of people who are walking with God, not perfectly, but humbly and beautifully. And next step, D, I'm renewing my commitment to God to walk in purity before God and others. So if you're doing that, this is an opportunity to renew. If you've been a little gray on this, it's an opportunity to come clean. Next step, E, I'm renewing my commitment to God and to my spouse, if this is for you or if you're married, to work toward vibrant, frequent sexual intimacy together. Now, I hope that it's not just men connecting uh, this box to their commitment, but I hope a lot of you Christian ladies who love God We'll do this because I'm telling you, the Bible's teaching here is clear. Walk in freedom, walk in joy, and may the peace of God cover everything else.